It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast, and I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today on the podcast, we have audio from our Sunday service on June 20th, Father's Day. This is not, however, a Father's Day-themed message, but rather the first of a series of messages looking into the incarnation of Jesus and how we should live in the light of the incarnation. So I think you're going to really enjoy this, get some good stuff out of this. So thanks for listening. And check us out on the web, northshorevineyard.org, because we will have resources posted online that will kind of explore some of these themes in the coming weeks. Also, we do have two new small groups that started this last week, and you can find directions to those on our website as well if you are in the Covington-Mandeville area and would like to participate. So thanks for listening. Let's go to the talk. If you were here for Mother's Day, we did a Mother's Day panel, and I've already had a few people ask. It was kind of, we had four mothers up here from different phases of life, and I had a few people ask, so since we did one for the mothers, are we going to do a Father's Day panel, you know, and have fathers up here? And honestly, I just kind of got behind on everything, and so that's not going to happen today. But uh, I did get an interesting idea, though. I read an article last year that was uh, from an Anglican church uh, in, in England, and what they did for Father's Day, they, they were thinking, how can we bless the fathers? Because when Mother's Day happens, they would pass out carnations or flowers or things like that to bless the moms. And they're like, you know, guys don't usually like carnations that much. So they're like, how can we bless guys? And so they came up with this idea of passing out beer and bacon rolls. I, I'm not sure what a bacon roll is, but I like bacon and I like rolls. And... Well, this is, this is the way that it worked. At some point in their service, they got all the kids to come down the front where they had the beer and the bacon rolls, and then the little, little kids grabbed beers and bacon rolls and, and went and passed them out among the fathers. And so I thought, you know, if our church is still in existence next year, if, you know, things keep working out, you know, we, we might uh, try that for next Father's Day. But I want to show you a picture. Um, you got that picture back there, Ethel? Ethel? You see this? A friend of mine, Casey Corum, out in, in Houston, his daughters made this for him. If you can't tell, it's, this, is, uh, this is a bouquet for fathers. Uh, you got the, the Coca-Cola glass with, with the bacon. You got some sausage and biscuits. And I'm thinking, might, might, be, a, might be a business there. So we might do something like that next year. Uh, I, I think that would work. Um, anyway, happy Father's Day to all y'all uh, and to myself. Back at me. Um, today... We're not going to do a Father's Day message, so, um, but we'll, we'll try it next year. Um, <laughs> today, uh, I titled this message, God With Us. And I, I mentioned last weekend that I'd been at this regional vineyard conference for a week, and uh, I got some, you know, it was an amazing time. I got to hear some really good messages from, from, from really gifted speakers. And you go to these conferences, and the worship's always you know, top-notch, you know, and, and the church we were in was just a, this massive place in Phoenix. But I got to say that, that out of all the things that happened in the conference that week, the thing that really affected me most was the stuff that was unscripted. It wasn't the stuff that was planned for. It wasn't the, 
the, the speakers or the worship, as good as that stuff was, it was the hanging out with other pastors late into the night, having conversations about stuff, jamming on the back porch with some, some friends of mine with guitars. And then on the first night, Monday night, I, you know, I, I had some really good friends. And, and this friend of mine from Houston, he uh, bought me tickets to go hear a band in Phoenix that happened to be in town that night. I'd never heard the band before. They were called Mumford & Sons. Anybody ever heard of them? Got one person, Miles? Okay. Uh, of course, I, I hadn't heard from them either. Obviously, though, when I showed up to the, to the club, obviously there were a lot of other people who had heard of them because it was packed with a lot of people, mainly in their 20s. But uh, it, it's kind of fun when you hear a band for the first time and you, you don't have any grid, any kind of expectation. My friend, he played me like one and a half songs on the way over, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But uh, I, other than that, I, I didn't have much expectation of what I was getting into. And on the first song, when the band comes out there, now this, this club was packed. It was probably two or 300 people in there. It's a little dive bar in South Phoenix. And, you know, we showed up a little late because we'd been at the conference and we had to duck out a little early to get across town. And the, the first song starts and they come out with these words in, in four-part harmonies over just a, a little acoustic guitar. Serve God and love men. This is not the end. And over the song, they began to build up with the lines, love that will not betray you, dismay or enslave you. It will set you free. Be more like the man you were made to be. There is a design, an alignment to cry at my heart to see the beauty of love as it was made to be. And they start singing these lines, and, 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 and progressively they, they keep going over and over on these lines, and, and the energy in the room was building, and you hear the kick drum come in, and, and the, the place was just wild with electricity. And they get done with that first song, and I'm like, whoa, I feel, it, it, did any of you feel like you encountered God in the worship a, a little while ago? You know, sometimes you get in these worship times, and, and, you, and, and, and at some point something changes, and it's not just music anymore. You, you actually sense the Holy Spirit in the room, like, like God's actually there. What was weird to me is that conference, that's, that's, that concert, in the middle of all these people that I didn't know, in a bar in Phoenix, all of a sudden they get done with that first song, and I'm like, wow, I think God's in the room. I think I sense Jesus here. And it went on that way for the next hour. There was these moments where you just felt the peace of God settle upon the place. There was people that were getting teared up, you know, like, and I'm like, wow, this is just a couple of hundred people that don't even know each other, and God seems to be here. I didn't know this until after the concert that night. The, the lead singer, Marcus Mumford, he's actually the son of the national directors of the Vineyard Movement over in England, and uh, he had actually hitched a ride over to the conference earlier that night and was actually there when we were worshiping at the conference, you know. He, he uh, and so... He's a Christian. I don't know if any of the other guys in his band are Christians, and, and they're not trying to be a, a Christian band, but there's definitely a sense of God in their music, no doubt. And in that concert that night, you could feel Jesus in that room. And I, I remember thinking, as the, as the music was happening, I was like, wow, I didn't expect to bump into God here. And I felt like God said to me, why wouldn't you expect to bump into me in a bar in Phoenix? Why? And then I got to thinking, you look back on the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, and that's exactly the place you would expect to bump into Jesus. <laughs> that's exactly the kind of place that Jesus would hang out. You know, if, if anything, we can look in the New Testament and find if there was a place that made Jesus uncomfortable, 
it was usually with a religious crowd. And I want to look at a, a, a couple of things today. Our text, I, I don't have it on our uh, PowerPoint today, but um, it's John 2, 1 through 11. And this is an interesting story. It's a story about Jesus' first miracle in public ministry. Starting in verse, starting in verse 1, it says, On the third day a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine, Jesus. Jesus says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not come. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying, I haven't started this whole public ministry thing yet. Why are you trying to drag me into your wine thing? But Jesus' mother says to some servants, Do whatever he says. And so... Nearby, there were six stone jars, the kind used for Jews, uh, by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 30 gallons. These jars, basically Jewish ceremonial purity laws. If you came into a house, you would, you would dip your hands in this water, and, and, and it would keep you pure in, in their uh, eyes. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim, and then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you save the best until now. This, the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples Put their faith in him. What are you to do with a God like this? I mean, do you realize how absurd this, this story is? What do you do with a God who his first miracle isn't at the temple? It's not at a synagogue. It, it's at a wedding party. And his first miracle isn't healing someone. <laughs> it's making wine. And it wasn't just the cheap stuff. It wasn't Boone's Farm. It was good stuff. It was like good wine, vintage, reserve stuff. And according to my calculations, he didn't just make a couple of bottles. He made like 180 gallons. <laughs> what do you do with a God like that? I mean, it, it doesn't fit... Into our model. See, the Pharisees, they were expecting the Messiah to come, but they expected the Messiah to be serious, religious, stuffy, like them. <laughs> Jesus comes and he enters into the world where people live, into the place they're having fun. And he doesn't enter into it like a, a junior high boy at a junior high dance. You know, he, Jesus wasn't at that party, you know, kind of standing on the side being shy. He actually got up in the midst of it and actually helped the momentum of the thing. What do you do with a God like that? You know, there was a, a song. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was back in the 80s. I may be wrong. It may have been the early 90s. I, I can't say I was a huge fan of it. But um, Bette Midler, From a Distance, anybody remember that tune? If it wasn't Father's Day, I'd sing it. I really would. <laughs> Not exactly the song you want to hear on Father's Day. Um, 
But there was a, one of these silly shows that comes on VH1 that I was watching a few years ago, and I think it's the only kind of show VH1 ever shows anymore. They, they, it's like four hours long of counting down the best songs of 1989 or the best toys of 1976 or whatever, something silly like that. And they get to the song of Bette Midler, and they get to the line of, in the song there's the line, God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. And the comedians who were commentating on it were like, that's kind of creepy. Kind of creeps me out. God is watching us from a distance. Not only is it kind of creepy, it's totally theologically not correct. Do you realize this? Jesus doesn't love us from a distance. He's not watching us from a distance. He's getting into our world. He loves us by entering into the place that we live. See, that, that day where Jesus turned the water into wine, I think had, had most of us in the evangelical churches, if we had done used the same kind of, well, I don't think most people in the evangelical church would have used wine as their uh, tactic, but had we been there, it would have been like, okay, get, pass the wine out, and now we're going to preach a message. We're going we're gonna to give everybody a tract and tell them, tell them about Jesus. What did Jesus do? He didn't preach the message. He didn't say anything. We, we have no record that he gets up at that wedding feast and, and then proclaims a big message in front of them. But if you're paying attention, Jesus said a lot right there. He said a lot without even opening his mouth. What does it say to you that Jesus, God incarnate, would come and show up at a party, turn water into wine, What's it say to you? See, Jesus was saying something that, that was bigger than words. He was saying any distance, whether real or perceived, that you think exists between you and God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing away with it. I'm doing everything I can to show you that the distance that you feel between yourself and God, it's, it's irrelevant. It's not there. I'm breaking through every barrier to reach you on your terms to reach you in your world, to reach you in your passions, in your fun, in the, in the place that you live. You know, there's a, back, back to the 80s again, there's a time where Kevin Costner was actually making good movies, uh, and, and one of them was called Field of Dreams. What's the famous line from Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. And uh, Kevin Costner's back in the news in Louisiana this week, uh, I saw. Um, guess he gave up on the movie thing. Um, but, but Kevin Costner, the, the, the famous line from the movie was, if you build it, they will come. And we tend to have this approach when it comes to church a lot of times. We think that if we can just get a bigger building and more programs and, and, and better bill, bells and whistles, that, that we can get more people to show up. And, and there is some truth to that. But Jesus never took that approach to ministry. He didn't, he didn't have the philosophy that if I build something, people will come. Rather, his mentality was if I go and enter into somebody else's world, the very kingdom of God might come. That's a little bit different. See, Jesus said as much with his life as he did with his words. 
Jesus said as much with his life as he did with his words. And this fact is lost on us so much in the church. We tend to talk about the words of Jesus. We do that here every week. I don't think there's been a week that's gone by that we hadn't preached something from Jesus. Big fan. Big fan of his words. But we have so focused on the words out of the New Testament that we missed the word. The word made flesh. John 1.14, I put it in your outline. This is from the message translation. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. The word became flesh. What does that mean? I think it means that God had something he wanted to say to us, and he used Jesus taking on the flesh and blood. Jesus takes on flesh and blood, becomes a human. As the scriptures we studied in our small groups this week, he didn't consider equality with God something that, that he could exploit. But he, he, he lived life as a human and dwelt by the Spirit of God. And he met us in our world. That's a message in and of itself. And I think if we in the church ever get an understanding of that, it'll change the way we relate to the world around us. In Matthew one twenty three, this is a, a, a typical verse that we use at Christmas time. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Before Jesus was ever born into our world, there's prophecies going on that he's going to be called Emmanuel. You know what that says to me? That says to me, like, not that, that they're supposed to name him Emmanuel. He's going to be called that. He's going to get the nickname Emmanuel. He, that's going to be, you know, you ever had a, a nickname attached to you before? You know, usually in our world it's because we do something stupid or something like that, and it just sticks with us forever. Jesus, what we see years later is that he actually gets the reputation of being God with us. There's no distance. There's no separation. It's not... I'm God, come over to me. It's no, I'm God with you, right where you are. Matthew 1.18, Jesus is speaking. He says, John came, the, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man, referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and they said, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. God with us. Jesus was hanging out so much with people that were not in the religious establishment <laughs> that he got a reputation. A reputation for being God with us. What do you do with a God like this? What do you do? You know, uh, I, I, a, a lady in our church emailed me a, a few weeks ago. She was feeling God stirring in her heart to, to go to the hospital and pray for a friend and, and, and maybe start praying for some, some elderly people in nursing homes. And she, but, but I could tell in, in the email that she was really having some anxiety about it. Like, I, I, I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed to do this thing. And I could definitely identify. You ever feel God stirring something in your heart to go do something and you just get anxious? You're like, I don't think I'm spiritual enough. Or I don't know enough Bible verses. 
I, what, what if I go there to pray for this guy and, and, and God doesn't heal him and then I'll look stupid and God will look stupid and, and what if I actually drive this person further away from God? Does anybody else feel that besides me? <laughs> and she's like, I, I, I'm not sure how to approach this thing. You know what I told her? I said, just go be with this person. Don't take the agenda that you've got to show up and be some spiritual giant. We underestimate the power of simply loving someone by entering into their world. We underestimate how powerful it is to simply love someone by entering into their world and just being with them. You know, in the church, we... We love to tell people what we think on issues. We love to pick it and, and, and show our opinions everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> but Jesus, understand, he spent 30 years of his life before he ever went into ministry, before he ever did a miracle, before he ever shared a message. He spent 30 years, what was he doing? Just being a normal human. 30 years. I'd say about half this room is under the age of 30. And some of you... Not so much. <laughs> Watch it all. <laughs> so think about that. Jesus grew up in an out-of-the-way village called Cana of Galilee where he actually performed his first miracle at that wedding. It would have been like living in, around Franklinton with Ricky and Sharon. It's out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you know, Cana of Galilee wasn't known as a cultural center, someplace that turned out amazing, uh, spectacular things, contributions to the rest of the world. It was just kind of an out-of-the-way fishing village. Jesus grew up there. And what did he do? He slept. He ate breakfast. Probably did some chores around the house. He worked in his dad's carpentry shop. He just did the things that you and I do. You get that? He, he, he did the stuff, that, and, and, and he did that for 30 years. That's a, that's a big chunk of my life at this moment. 30 years. If we break that down into a percentage, that means that Jesus spent 10% of his life in ministry and 90% of his life just entering into the world of people. He spent 10% of his life actually talking to people about the kingdom of God, healing the sick, raising the dead, multiplying the loaves, all that stuff. He spent 10% of his life doing that and 90% of his life actually trying to enter into the world of people. You think that ought to tell us something here? Oh, don't shout me down now. You look at the church in America... And I'd say we like to spend 90% of the time telling people what we think. <laughs> Maybe with that last 10%, we'll, we'll actually try to enter into their world. But in America, we tend, we tend to let our, you know, we, instead of actually stepping out into somebody else's world and saying, God is with you, we look at other people and we say, God's not with you. He, why would God be with you? You're doing this and this and this and God's not with you. Matter of fact, I'll do a rally with other people to tell you how God's not with you. I'll send emails to other people to tell you how God's not with you. Jesus shows us the contrary. He gets into the world of, of all kinds of people, all kinds of people that were, you know, a lot of them were not even 
very savory characters. It's not like they were on the path at all. And Jesus, by entering into their world, starts telling them with the very, the very example of his life that God is with you. The kingdom is coming to you. You who have not been to seminary. You who don't know Bible verses. You who have tried and failed at praying. <laughs> you who think that God hates you. God is with you. And I am evidence of that. You know, I don't go to Christian bookstores much because they just aggravate me. Because in Christian bookstores, we've seen something in the last 20 or 30 years. The word Christian has gone from being a noun and a verb to being an adjective. Have you noticed that? You go into a local Christian bookstore, you will find Christian action figures, Christian candy bars, Christian t-shirts, Christian workout videos. You'll find everything that you would find out in the regular world, but with the word Christian attached to it. See, there's this this tendency when we encounter God, we, we want to kind of pull back from the surrounding world. And we want to we want to make things safe and comfortable and get kind of Christian alternatives for everything that we liked out there that we can't do anymore. <laughs> and so we put the word Christian on it. But you know what? Christian was never meant to be an adjective. It was meant to be a verb, a noun. It was meant to be about a relationship that you have with God. And it's always moving outward. See, there was a time in my life when I first became a Christian. Yeah, dude, I was, I was into some bad things, and I was with a bad crowd, and I needed to step away from that. And so step away I did. I ended up in a Bible college like three weeks later, which was like totally opposite. Had to wear a tie every day. Couldn't, couldn't sh- you had to keep your face clean shaven and couldn't walk on the grass. And uh, I was oppressive. That's why... I've, I rarely wear a tie to this day. I was, I was kind of scarred. <laughs> and, you know, but that, as, as, as hard as the rules were at that point, that, w- that was kind of a good thing for me for where I was coming out of. But the problem is, we, when we step away from some things that God has kind of taken us out of, we, we want to stay there permanently. But Jesus doesn't stay there. He's always looking to step out and to love other people. You know, if, if, you're, if you're not trying to get into the world of other people and just simply love them, you're missing a huge, huge part about what the kingdom of God is about. See, it's not just about, as I've said on many occasions, coming here and being a nice group of people like a box of puppies licking each other. <laughs> it's about expanding the kingdom. And, and, and we, 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 we tend to put too many things on that. I, I don't know about you, but I believe in sharing my faith but I don't feel like much of an evangelist. Anybody feel like you got the gift of evangelism? Nobody in this room. Okay, surprise. I know I hear pastors all the time. They tell stories about, I got on a plane in New Orleans going to Houston, and by the time we, we landed, I'd shared Jesus with a lady next to me. And I'm like, wow, man, it, it takes me that long to strike up a conversation with somebody on a plane. You know, I'm just not there. <laughs> I feel completely inadequate at some of those things. But you know what I can do? I can simply love somebody. You know, New Year's Eve, we moved into Abita Springs a, a couple days earlier, or, or Mayberry, as we're, we're starting to call it lately. And a uh, <laughs> little bit of a change from Kenner. And the first 
the the first night that we're there, or, I mean, a couple nights after we're there, it was New Year's Eve, and one of our neighbors invited us over to their New Year's Eve party. So, like, okay, cool. So, we're at the party and just trying to get to know people, and you know, having some chili and a glass of wine, and and then all of a sudden, this lady who was probably the most extroverted lady at the party, and probably had the how can I say this nicely? She had the most volume as she talked, and um, she comes over and she's like, starts talking with me. She's like, "So, what do you do?" <laughs> like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of a church. A pastor? And she starts inviting, her, you know. And so for the next like, <laughs> the next thirty or forty minutes, you know, it's like asking me all kinds of questions about everything concerning church. And uh, you know, at the end of the evening, I didn't invite anybody to North Shore Vineyard. Matter of fact, I haven't invited any of my neighbors. You might be thinking, That's, that sounds silly. You're, you're a pastor. And it's not because I'm scared of you guys, okay? Just so you know that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm trying to take the mindset of Jesus as much as I can. I want to enter into the world of these people around me. I don't want, you know, honestly... I don't like it when people ask me what they do because a lot of people, as soon as they find out you're a pastor, wall goes up. I want my neighbors to know. I want them to see my life because I realize my life speaks things to them that my words never will. Matter of fact, if I speak, to the, speak things to them without them seeing it in my life, it's not going to have any power. And so what am I doing in my neighborhood? I want to see my neighbor out in his front yard with his kids. I go over there. I start talking with him, hanging out. What's going on in your world? The lady next door needed her lawn mowed because she was a widow and doesn't, you know, kind of shut in. I mowed her yard. I was mowing her yard the other day, and one of her neighbors comes up and says, "Can you pray for me?" I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Her dog was barking. It was hot. I got about a thirty-second prayer in. <laughs> but you know what? That lady. She wouldn't have come and asked me for prayer if on the first week we moved into the neighborhood, I walked around to every house with my Bible and told everybody that, hey, I'm the new pastor from North Shore Vineyard. I want you to come down here and check it out. We're going to have a revival or whatever. <laughs> they wouldn't have come. But hopefully they're seeing something in my life that, that they, they see as approachable. They see that I live in the same world they do. I want to read one last passage today. By the way, it's not that I'm never going to invite these people to church. I just want you to know. <laughs> and it's not as if the lady that I talked to a few weeks ago about going to visit people in the hospital, it's not as if I don't want her to pray. But the main thing is we do it out of relationship with God. What did Jesus do? He said, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear my father saying. When you get in relationship with someone and you are a Christ follower and you are listening to God on a regular basis, you know what? You are free to be yourself and listen for what God's doing. Look for what God's doing. You don't have the pressure on you to be something that you're not. You can simply relax and love people without expectations, without conditions or anything. You can simply love them. And then when God opens the door, Okay, just like when my neighbor wanted prayer the other day. Last scripture I want to look at today is Romans 13, 8 through 10. Don't run up debts, as Josh said 
a couple weeks ago. The only kind of debt that is acceptable in the kingdom of God is the huge debt of love you owe each other. Don't run up debts except for the debt that you owe each other. When you love others, you complete the law, what the law has been after all along. The law code, don't sleep with another person's spouse. Don't take someone's life. Don't take what isn't yours. Don't always be wanting what you don't have. And any other don't you can think of finally adds up to this. Love other people as well as you do yourself. You can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. This has got to be what grounds us as a church. Too often we get, I've seen this in my own life, I've seen this in plenty of Christians, we get you know, into the intellectual side of studying the Bible and we're doing all kinds of Christian, Christian activities and we forget about love. We forget about simply loving people. This has got to be the place we start. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look in this idea of the incarnation of Jesus and what it means to incarnate Jesus to other people. Because, you know, the same thing that Jesus did, he asked us to do, that we could be a picture of his love, a picture. We could be a message, what he's saying to the world around us. So I want to leave you with these two thoughts today. Love. How do you love I think the one thing that I want us to start on this week, your homework, your, your assignment for this coming week is to love somebody. Somebody that, that you, you may not, you, you may have been in the same neighborhood for five or ten years and you don't know your neighbors. Maybe what you need to do is go buy a bottle of wine and put a note on it and put it on their front door and say, hey, call me up when you want to have some more doors and come over and talk. Maybe there's a coworker that you don't know. Take them out for coffee. Maybe somebody you could take out for lunch. And just sit down, and the next thing, your next homework assignment is listen. <laughs> listen. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to what's going on in their world. Try to understand that person where they're at. You do this, you're getting a little bit closer to what Jesus did when he entered into our world when he stepped into the place where we lived. Now you're not coming at somebody trying to to get them to measure up to something before you'll have a relationship with them. Now you get to be a conduit of what God's doing. Love and listen. I want to leave you with one last quote. This is by a guy named Dave, David Augsburger. He says this, Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person they are almost indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are indistinguishable. Think about it in your own life. Have you ever had someone who just listened to you? Like, like you could tell they were listening to you. They weren't thinking about <laughs> how to get out of the conversation or what they were going to have for lunch. Or, you know, they didn't have that glazed look in their eyes, but they actually listened to you. When you were talking, they, they, they're leaning in. They're paying attention. They're waiting to hear what's inside your heart. You ever had somebody do that? What did that show you? That showed you love. I heard somebody say one time, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Our homework as a church is to love and to listen in this next week. Ask God for opportunities to do that, to show that you care for people. 
yeah, but this person's really messed up. Well, dude, you were messed up one time too, (laughs) and you still are a little bit. (laughs) Why don't you stand with me? I'll close with a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you so much. We are so grateful. We're so humbled, Lord, that you don't love us from a distance, that you don't demand us to, to, to meet a whole bunch of things before you will have a relationship with us, but you broke down every barrier and entered into the world that we lived. Lord, you showed solidarity, solidarity with us as humans. Lord, you got into the place where we live and breathe and work and play, and you meet us there. Jesus, help us to understand that truth, to internalize it. Help us to do the same thing, God, with our coworkers, with our family members, with our friends, with our neighbors, God, that we could be like you were, or that we could stop feeling the pressure to, to say things all the time. We could just simply be your people in relationship with people that don't know you. Lord, help us in this week to know what it means to love others by listening, by entering into their world, by truly trying to understand them. Show us what that means, God. Amen. Well, all right. I guess we'll see you next Sunday. Thank you all for coming. Happy Father's Day. Go. Have some bacon rolls or something.